This is a humble man recording. Scano, Sego, Ani, you're listening to the Red Road Podcast with Courtney Skye and Hayden King. Are you awake? Mimi whispered as low as she could so not to awaken or alarm the children. Receiving no answer, she nudged her husband, Wabcoco. Wake up. What is it? He asked sleepily. Listen, she said. With the wind whirling through the trees and the breakers battering the rocky shores, it was difficult to hear. Still, they made out a melancholy, thin voice and an eerie voice calling, Help! Help me, someone. I can't get out. Mimi pressed closer to her husband and began to shiver. I'm afraid. It doesn't sound like a man or a woman. Shh! I can't hear. Wab Coco hushed his wife. Mimi lay still. In the dark, she heard... She felt her husband prop himself up on one elbow and suspend his breathing. Help me. And the rest of the words were muffled by the fresh burst of wind. Somebody's down on the shore, Wab Coco ventured after some moments. I'm going down to see what the matter is and see if I can help. He cast the blankets aside and fumbled for his leggings and moccasins. Wait for me, I'm coming with you, Mimi hissed at her husband as she fumbled in the dim light cast by the red embers of the fire to find her dress, moccasins, and wrap while Wab Coco waited. Where are you two going? Mimi's mother asked. Well, Coco explained that he was going down to the shore to see who was calling for help. Didn't you hear anyone calling, he asked. Yes, I did, but it didn't sound like a human being to me. Leave it. Don't go down there. Don't worry. We'll be right back, Well, Coco assured his mother-in-law as he followed his wife out of the lodge. Though the wind blew with a gale force, it was not cold, nor was it dark as might have been expected of a blustery night. Driven by the whipping winds, clouds raced across the sky, shrouding the moon and casting the earth into darkness, then blowing by and brightening up the land. Help, before it's too late. This way, Nietzsche. This way, Wabcoco directed his wife towards the shore over boulders and shrubs. Watch your step. Wabcoco and Mimi were near the shore, looking up down at the length of the lakeside when the clouds unshrouded the moon. Sprays of water fell on them as waves broke over the boulders. Nietzsche, help me, came the call directly in front of them. Wabcoco looked. <laughs> Mimi screamed as her knees buckled and she slumped to the ground. An instant later, Wabcoco saw it too. A skull wedged between boulders, rolling to and fro according to the motion of the water. His knees gave way and he sat, quaking, on his haunches beside his wife's form. He rested his hand on her shoulder. Nietzsche, the skull said. I can't hurt you. I can't hurt you. Don't be afraid of me. I can't even touch you as you see me. Help me. While Coco opened his mouth, his jaw went slack, and he couldn't utter a word, not a sound. He could only gape in repugnance at the skull. Nietzsche, the skull spoke again. Why look at me with such loathing as if I were something abdominable? You ought to know that I was once like you and you will someday look like me. Instead of shrinking, you should bear with me some sympathy and tolerance. What do you, what do you want? Bob Coco stammered. My bones are scattered as you see me. I am Pagak. I am broken, dismembered, now just a skull. Put my bones together in their natural order. Make me an eternity complete. But, but, but I'm not a me- medicine person. Only they are warranted to commune with the dead. And why are you still here? Why are you not in the land of the souls with your kin and your ancestors? 
I would like to be with them, but I cannot. They will not have me, nor will the underworld. Neither do I belong in your world. But I must dwell here, pleading with your kind until somebody incorporates my bones and sets me free. Why? How is it that you're dismembered? Why will they not have you in the land of souls? If I tell you, will you collect my bones and restore them to their proper configuration? Wakoko thought. He nodded without saying a word. He felt sorry for the skull and less afraid now as he had been at the beginning. He drew Mimi, he drew Mimi near as she had come closer to his side. My name is Bagak. The skull began, and the following is the story he told. Ooh. <laughs> what, you didn't find that creepy? <laughs> Come on, it's a creepy ghost story. Yeah, it's a ghost story. Oh, jeez. I couldn't get over the fact that it in the middle it was premise of a fact he was sleeping in a breach. Which seems terrible. I don't he was sleeping in a breach. Sleeping in a breach. Oh, uh, well, you know, come on. Basil Johnson, I think, is a little bit more conservative. So, you know. I think he alluded to the fact that Mimi was naked. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, Bagok is one of the... It's the flying skeleton in Nishnabek stories. So, the story that Basil Johnson tells is about this... You know, Bagok was obviously a person at one point, And he was... Uh, filled with jealousy and rage and ultimately he uh, orchestrated the murder of his brother and uh, then eventually his um, his brother's wife and so um, the spirit world sort of orchestrated his death but then when he went to uh, go into the land of souls as Basil Johnson says they wouldn't they wouldn't let they wouldn't take him for his crimes uh, when he was a human, and so he was cast out. He couldn't enter the un- he couldn't enter the afterlife. He couldn't uh, remain on Earth in any sort of hum- human form, and so he was stuck in purgatory to haunt uh, humans and warn them of uh, or or caution them to always remember their humanity. Yeah. So there's other stories about. I don't know where they fit it when when he when Bagok eventually talked to Wab Coco and Mimi, but there are other stories like uh, Ron Gaishik talks about. Actually, Ron Gaishik's story is is pretty funny of Bagok, mm-hmm. much different than Basil Johnson's. <laughs> but actually, is it what Ron Gaishik that talks about Bagok? Well, Bagok is supposed to. What he does is he, you know, roams around the forests and he waits for uh, hunters to mm-hmm. fall asleep. And then he'll slowly creep up to them and carve open their skin and their flesh and pull out their liver before they even wake up and then eat the liver. And then, of course, they'll die. So, I don't know, maybe that's, mm-hmm. a, that's, a, that's a story about how you shouldn't fall asleep when you're, you know, mm-hmm. when you're hunting. Yeah. Which I have done. So listen to listen to. Uh, mm-hmm. I know we've got all kinds of ghost stories, right? Yeah, you all kinds. Of, you're just waiting have, to get I, in here. No, I don't have any. Uh, Welcome is... to the Red Road Podcast. <laughs> Hold on, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Bagok. Oh. <laughs> there are spirit, spirits who travel so fast they go around the world four times each morning and four times each afternoon. They come from the east. Sometimes you hear one hollering. One told me his name. It's Bagok, meaning bones with no meat on them. He looks like a skeleton. There used to be an old log cabin on the top of the hill where our house is built. And I used to like to sit outside of that cabin in the afternoon sun. 
That's where I first saw him, first heard the sound, like a crying and a whistling wind coming from some place right over my head. I stood up, and there he was, sitting on a roof. That's when he told me his name. I don't know why he goes around the world so fast every day. I figured that's just the kind of spirit he is. But I wasn't scared of him. Spirits never scare me at all. I'm more afraid of other Indians. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. Right. <laughs> I remember my cousin telling me ghost stories. He's like, nothing to fear about in the, nothing to fear in the woods except the Frenchman. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, Frenchman. So anyway, you want to do the intro? Yeah. Welcome to the Red Road Podcast. Red Road Podcast. Hey, hi, Hayden. <laughs> Good afternoon, name? Courtney. Oh my gosh, it's Halloween, kind this of. Is, yeah. Are we? Is this on? Is this? Is this dropping on Halloween? It's the day before, so this is this should be dropping on like October thirtieth. October thirtieth. So yeah. this is our podcast where we talk about Indian ghost stories. I couldn't find any good Indian ones. Indian <laughs> ghost stories. I almost I had a well-meaning friend that got me a a gift mm-hmm. one year that was Indian ghost stories. It's actually called Indian oh, ghost wow. stories, and it was just full of the most awful stereotypes. And I threw it out, but I kind of regret throwing it out because it I was hoping perfect. to mine it for this uh, podcast. So It would have been perfect. Yeah, so we're going to tell some ghost stories, right? Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, I realized very close, like, where I think that, like, you know, stories are a way to um, transmit knowledge, especially to children. And I realized that, like, I never got told ghost stories or scary stories as a kid, A, because I was a pretty anxious kid and you didn't need to tell me anything to kind of like keep me in line. I didn't really learn any scary stories, but also, um, I don't know whether there are very many, like, I'm sure that there definitely are hidden internet ghost stories, but I just never got told them. I was a good kid. (laughs) Okay. So that makes, that makes sense. I guess you were never told any ghost stories because you're just very polite and (laughs) well-behaved. Anxious. Anxious. Probably more so the the anxiousness. Like if once, I and I'm sure many kids have gone through this. Um, but do you ever have those moments where you are, um, where they teach you about fire safety as a kid, and then you're scared your house is gonna burn down for the rest of your life? Like I was that kid, right? <laughs> I had like a fire okay. escape plan. So you were very cautious. Yes, very cautious kid. It's funny because a lot of what you would classify as ghost stories or creepy stories or scary stories for Nishnabek are basically that like don't do this or you'll be dismembered and disemboweled by a shrieking wailing flying skeleton yeah which is like and I was um reflecting on some other stories that have like morals or those kinds of things attached to them and one of the Haudenosaunee stories which is about like our ceremonies and why our ceremonies are starting. It's a story where, um, like the seven dancers. I haven't right? heard this one. You haven't heard the story of the seven dancers? Okay, so the seven dancers are, it's these young boys and they want to do our ceremonies outside and they want to be out and they want to do it kind of like not when they're supposed to, not how we normally do them. And so they ask their parents for food and they go around and they ask, all their moms and dads for food so they can do this because someone told them essentially they should be a spirit or what have you was trying to get them to do ceremonies in a certain way and their parents told them no you know we just have enough food for everyone to do our ceremonies in the usual way um 
don't do it but then the kids went and snuck off and did it anyway these boys and they started singing and dancing because they wanted to dance there's eight of them and um, by the time their parents noticed they had like snuck off to do this they were already floating in the sky and floating away and so one of the mothers in her grief and wailing kind of like was able to call one of them back and that's how like shooting stars happen hmm. and but the seven um, kind of transcended and they became uh, the Pleiades star cluster or the seven dancers and when they're at their brightest in the sky that's how we know to start our ceremony cycle and it's a really um, and I think that's a very interesting story because I think the moral of the story isn't that like if you don't do ceremonies in the way you're supposed to do you'll die it's a story to parents to say that if you don't value your children and you don't encourage your children and love your children they're, they'll go away Oh shit, we have a really kind of messed up story about that. Mm-hmm. There's a story I heard from Isaac Murdoch. Uh, I won't tell the whole story, but it's basically a woman. So there's, you know, in for Nishnabek, there's Mishi Bijou, the underwater panther, the underwater lynx, and then there's Nimki Baneshi, the thunderbird. <clears throat> and thunderbird and, and underwater panther, are, they help keep the world in balance. Mm-hmm. You know, if, you, if humans get a little bit too out of control, then the Thunderbirds will collaborate with the underwater panthers and basically destroy the planet, um, which you could argue is happening right now to keep humans in check. <clears throat> but these are like the, among the most sacred beings for the Nishnabek. But there's all kinds of other stories related to them. So there's like <clears throat> the story of Mishibijo. Well, it's a story about a woman who had her baby on a Tikkanagan and <clears throat> went down by the water. And was, you know, gathering some berries, just enjoying the sun, doing doing whatever. And she decided just to put her Tikkanagan on a, on a tree branch that was sort of overhanging over the water. And, um, <clears throat> and she didn't really think anything of it. And then she goes away. And the next thing she just hears this giant splash and feels these waves on her legs. And she looks back and she just sees the tail of a giant serpent going under the water. And she looks up in the tree and the Tikkanagan is gone the baby is gone and so the it was basically the same the same you know uh, Mm -hmm. lesson like (laughs) don't leave Mm -hmm. your kids Mm -hmm. unattended to uh, especially near the water Mm Mishibiju will come up and take them away from you Mm -hmm. bring them down into the into Mm -hmm. the sea and that's a pretty you know shit man look after your Mm -hmm. kids and then there's Norton there's Thunderbird stories as well like Aaron Mills talks about this story that he found where um, he was talking about it in the context of sacred sites, but sort of the same, like these two boys or two young men really wanted to go to this place that everybody said was sacred and was off limits. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just sort of ignored those warnings. And then, so they went there and it turned out to be a place of the Thunderbirds. So humans aren't allowed to go to this place. And so, of course, they get in there, and then the Thunderbird flies up and screeches, and then shoots lightning bolts from its eyes, and both of the young men are struck dead yeah. right on the spot, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Those kinds of stories are interesting <laughs> yeah. to think about, you know, <laughs> things like capital punishment or... 
climate change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's serious repercussions to humanity's neglect, I guess. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our sort of, I guess maybe you would classify them as scary or ghost stories or mm -hmm. real stories. Are, uh, these are real kids. They're all. Yeah, true. and I think that's the thing too, right? Like, um, I. When, you ha when we were planning this episode and we, I was like kind of reflecting on, about like, you know, I don't really know any of these. I know like the creation story and these other kinds of stories and these lessons that we have, but it was never really taught to me in a way that they were stories. They were taught to me in a way like this is fact and this is our history. Mm -hmm. And so I don't really know what that line is right about like what is a lesson or what is just like a fact of our people or like you know i think about like there's stories about like you know how the maid of the mist you know the maid of the mist and the formation of niagara falls and those kinds of stories but i'm I don't know, a little bit perplexed. There's also, like, the modern, like, freaky resi stories that I'm a big yeah, fan of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the modern freaky resi stories are good. Yeah. Uh, but to your point, I mean, we sort of talked about this mm -hmm. in an earlier episode. There's maybe, I don't know if you would call it a latent debate, but sort of a, de a little bit of a debate between more conservative adherents to Nishnabek and, I don't know, maybe Haudenosaunee mm -hmm. philosophy and spirituality that's like, no, these stories are literal. Mm -hmm. These are literal stories. Yeah. Um, and then others that are like, well, they're not exactly literal, but they're 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 perpetuate mm -hmm. the values that are important mm -hmm. to hold up the world, mm -hmm. basically. <clears throat> but anyway, we're not really going to get into that. No, we're not going to. This is more like a fun episode. So okay. So what is the freakiest thing that's ever happened to you <laughs> on the res? <laughs> to me? Do you believe? Okay. So do you believe ghosts are real? Yes. For sure, I agree. So, ghosts, spirits, uh, <clears throat> dead relatives that continue to live and be able to interact with people, uh, the ancestors, yes. 100%, 100%. Absolutely. Yes. I have experienced that with my own five senses. Yes. I agree. So... You have uh, experiences with that as well. I'm not, yeah. I'm not prepared to talk about... No, I'm not really the talking shit about, that is happening. Yeah, to me. the real stuff. But <laughs> there's also like the fun stuff. I think we were probably gonna like cut out some of these like meandering points we have here. What? Well, like, no meandering. Okay, this fine. Is all, oh, this is on. all cohesive. Okay, so, um, so one of the things. So kind of like I was. So like I said I was asking my aunties about some of these stories, and. There's some of, like, these freaky red stories that happened, like, in my lifetime. But also, like, some of the older ones that happened around, like, when my cousins were older. And, um, so the thing about the bone person. We kind of have a story like that, only they're a vampire. Hmm. Which kind of sounds like your thing about eating the livers. Right? right. But it's, yep. like, a bony skeleton vampire guy. Um... There's also, like, and that's the thing, too, like, some of these spiritual beings or some of these things that, like, in what might be, like, settler colonial literature would be deemed as, like, scary spirits are, like, medicines, right? So I don't really, like, 
And that's to your point, right? Like the reality of the thing. But there is one. There is one. Really kind of like red story that I don't remember ever hearing other than like someone teasing and calling someone this name, which is Onatsa. Have you ever heard of Onatsa? No. So this is like, a, I don't know if it's just on six, but it's like off a dinner journey thing. Onatsa, it's like a being that like runs through the bush and you might see it sometimes. And it's supposed to be scary. Whoa. Where does it come from? I don't know where it comes from. That's the thing, right? Like, and I just, like, and the way that my aunties have talked about it is just basically like, it's a thing that like will run around and like scare people. And it's just like a little haunting thing. Looks kind of like you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Gray hair, plaid shirt, spills coffee in my car every day. <laughs> um,. It's but just no. me. I'm no. running around the res. <laughs> no. Okay. So Anatsa is literally just a butt with legs. <laughs> which is like this silly kind of thing about like hauntings. There's also another one which is like a pure Six Nations thing, which is the monkey dog. Oh, yeah. Have the you heard about dog. the monkey dog? No. Did you go and ask people today? No. Oh. So the monkey dog, legend has it, I think I was probably eight to ten years old so recently right this is like a contemporary story and so there's this part of the res where it was a little bit of a wooded area and this is kind of like the only thing that I ever heard about Anishinaabe people growing up and it was that someone had built a sweat lodge on the res on Six Nations and whoever was running it, like, wasn't doing it properly or was, like, disrespectful to the protocols and things. And when they were in the sweat, this dog, which was, like, a mix of a dog and a monkey, came out from the sweat lodge. And so it was, like, running around and people would see it all over the res. Oh. Mm-hmm. We, uh... <clears throat> we conjured the monkey dog just to... <laughs> fuck with the Haudenosaunee. Just to troll Stay us. in your lane, man. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> it's funny, though, because you talked about ghost stories as being a way to scare children. Mm-hmm. A lot of the ghost stories that Nishnabek tell, especially if you get closer to the North Shore, in, like central Ontario, mm-hmm. are about the Nottaway. We all know who the Nottaway are. Who are they? <laughs> They're your relatives. <laughs> you are Nottaway. So basically it would be like parents would tell their kids like behave, you know, come home before dark or the Nottaway will get you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a real thing. Still goes on, I'm I'm told. So what does that mean? What does that word mean? Well, it means big serpents. Biggest? <laughs> uh, the best? Except for Mishibiju. I think Nottaway are pretty, pretty high up there. It's true. Why? I actually don't know what the etymology... Like, I don't know exactly where it came from, but I do know it's pejorative, and yeah. it's like the the word that Nishnabek used to mm-hmm. slander Haudenosaunee. Which also, like, sometimes creeps into, like, people's real work. Oh, fuck. Come on, Aiden. I bought you 
a coffee cup specifically for this. I don't know. So you wouldn't spill just, coffee in my car. I, it, I just spilled it, it in your bag. It's just on me in my bag. <laughs> yeah. Also, I spilled coffee on that seat this morning. So I took the seat <laughs> oh, cover off the seat of the seat. Gone. So you have to be extra careful. Okay, I'll be extra careful. Jeez. That was a big bump. It was a big bump, but you also drink out of a thermos. <laughs> like an open top thermos. It's a little thermos. Here, I'm going to do this. Uh, oh, all right. God, so continue. So sometimes Nottaway gets into people's work. Yes. Like when you wrote Nottaway on that chart <laughs> I wanted con comments on, and then one of the people I work with thought it was a real word. <laughs> thought it was like an alternative to Haudenosaunee or Iroquois. <laughs> well, someone recently from an unnamed university sent me an email, and their land acknowledgement said, we want to recognize this is a traditional territory of the Anishinaabek <laughs> and the Nottaway. <laughs> And I wrote to them and I was like, you know, mm -hmm. I'm sure there's a lot of thought put into your land acknowledgement, but you know that this word is a bit of a problem. And they were like, no, I didn't know. I'm not from this territory. Tell me what it means. Mm -hmm. I told them what it means. And he was like, wow, mm -hmm. the people that did all our land acknowledgement stuff are all in the Schnabeck. Mm -hmm. There's no Mohawks or anything on our, yeah. on our team. It's like, well, I guess that kind of explains it. Yeah. Which is also, like, I think another example of how much you guys spend thinking about us <laughs> and how little time we spend thinking about you. <laughs> hey, man, the monkey dog. It was, yeah, and I think that's, like, the only kind of exposure I had to, like, Anishinaabek culture growing up near New Credit. <laughs> so there's this ghost story. It's not a ghost story. This is something that I have actually experienced myself. So our uh, island called Beausoleil First Nation or Chimnasing Christian Island. <clears throat> uh, it wasn't settled until 1830s, 1840s, although some people, some Anishinaabek Potawatomi did settle a little bit a little bit sooner, but anyway, um, before before we settled that island, there were Huron, and they called it uh, Adejo, Island Adejo, and they lived there, and they had actually migrated there. They were pushed there after, during the... Uh, Iroquois Wars in the early 1600s and they were one of the last group the people that settled on that island were one of the last group to uh, be dispersed by the Haudenosaunee and so but they couldn't leave the island basically the story goes that they were stuck on the island and the Haudenosaunee sat on this ridge the Mohawks they sat on this ridge called Cedar Ridge which is on the mainland and you can see basically 270 degrees of the island so if the Huron ever wanted to leave they the Mohawks would just basically get in their boats and chase them down. So they were stuck on the island, and many of them died there. There was a cholera ep epidemic. I like so, the story. <clears throat> so fast forward um, a couple hundred years to the late, uh, I guess the mid-1990s, uh, early 2000s, and people started building like multi-million dollar mansions on Cedar Ridge. Like, it's a beautiful place. You go up there and you look out, you see all of Georgian Bay, you see the islands, um, and so they're, they're building these mansions there. And then over time, people start to, and these are all non-native people, of course. Mm -hmm. And over time, they start talking to islanders and saying, <clears throat> you know, there's some really strange stuff happening in our cottages, our homes. Like, we're hearing things at night. Um, doors are left open, or do doors are closed in the evenings. We wake up in the morning and they're wide open. Um, you know, all the, all the regular stuff you mm -hmm. hear with traditional ghost stories. And it just builds and builds and builds. Year after year after year, people are telling these stories. And so finally, they, they come around. And this just happened a couple of years ago, actually. They came around and they asked for uh, 
uh, help, like ceremony, to help put these uh, mm -hmm. these spirits to rest because they're all like freaking out. Mm -hmm. Ghosts are walking through their walls and shit. And so I was on the boat one day and um, one of the elders was like, hey, we're going to go and do this ceremony. Would you mind helping us as an Ashkabewa? So I went and I helped <clears throat> a little bit and it was, we started out, we started doing it and uh, it was all going well and everything. <clears throat> but then uh, this wild storm came up and we like couldn't, couldn't even finish the ceremony. Wild storm came up, and I like actually leave early because I'm so afraid. So they might they might have actually finished the ceremony. I was bad Ashkabewa. So I leave, mm. and I walk up this narrow channel to get to my car, which is mm -hmm. maybe like um, 200 meter walk, and it's mm. dark and it's raining, and I could just feel all around me this very terrifying energy, and I started to run to my car. Uh, and I was never happier to get inside of a Jeep <laughs> Cherokee. That's what you get for leaving a ceremony. Or I know. It's done. That's what I get for leaving a ceremony. That's what I get for trying to mess with those uh, mm -hmm. Mohawk and Huron ghosts. Like. Well, and this is the thing that I've heard too. So I do a lot of travel for work. And there's a lot of different territories where like people have put down medicines. Especially like these different islands and different places where it's like specific medicine meant to like repel Mohawk people. <laughs> so sometimes when I travel, I have really vivid dreams and I have really bad experiences going to different territories. Like I, it's almost like you can feel the ground repelling you. It's so intense. Like I hate being in Ottawa. Wow. I hate being in Ottawa. I went to Christian Island and I couldn't stay there. It was like I had um, like goosebumps the entire time. Wow. It was a really weird experience. And especially in Thunder Bay as well. That's another territory where they would have put down this medicine. So when I travel, I have to do things when I get there and, you know, be mindful of things. And I often don't travel with like... Um, Sometimes in my work, you have to travel with medicines from other nations. I often try not to be the one to take on that responsibility. You know, I've been with travel. I've been with groups of people that travel with eagle staffs and things like that, and they like set eagle staffs up in hotel rooms and things like mm -hmm. that, and sleep with them. And I will uh, gently ask someone else to carry that responsibility. Well, mm -hmm. <clears throat> I was talking with my friend Susan about this Netflix show called mm -hmm. um, I think it's The Haunting of Hill House mm -hmm. uh, did you watch it? no I haven't I don't watch scary movies oh okay well it's, it ends up being sort of sad as opposed to scary I did I did watch it mm -hmm. um, but I was talking to Susan and she's like white people you know why are they always running into you know <laughs> running directly towards the ghosts <laughs> right you know? Uh, every every scary movie <laughs> every indigenous person is like oh sorry to interrupt you <laughs> carry on Wish you the best. I'm going to go this way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but we were talking about, you know, they could have saved themselves a lot of time if they just brought some sage. You know, if they just burned some sage in the damn house. Which is what you're supposed to do every time you move into a new house. What you're supposed to do, you know, smudge the place. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, when I was, I was working at McMaster's, maybe it was probably eight or nine years ago, mm -hmm. and uh, a 
this random person comes into the room, comes into our office, and uh, he says, I greet him, and he mm-hmm. says, I'm looking for someone to help me with ghosts. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I, I don't even know what to tell you. Ghosts? No, we're not here. Mm-hmm. We're not ghostbusters here mm-hmm. at Indigenous Studies. <laughs> so then the elder, who's Bertha Sky, mm-hmm. um, you know, walks down the hallway and she says, I think I can help you. Mm-hmm. And she takes the guy into a room, she closes the door, <clears throat> they sit in there and talk for 45 minutes, the guy leaves. Next week he comes back, sits down with her again. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I don't know what he was up to, but basically I talked to Bertha afterwards and mm-hmm. she's like, yeah, I told him this much. Mm-hmm. And it solved his problem. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I guess, you know, there are, those, those are some powerful medicines to help people on their way, I suppose, or mm-hmm. keep them away, maybe. Yeah. So, I used to work at Chiefswood National Historic Site, which is like a 150-year-old house that's at Six Nations. And people have, like, there's been, like, ghost hunters and things that have come there to try and uh, see if it's haunted, right? has some spooky things going on and I never used to like spend a lot of time in the museum um alone just because it's so freaky it's set up like it's someone's house but like a Victorian era house but it's like set up like a home right it's set up like a home and it is um so you get that feeling right and a lot of their original furniture is there a lot of the crafts and things they made are there uh pauline johnson's childhood doll is there things like that and it's like um i've been doing tours where people have like noticed the curtains moving and um noises and things like that but not necessarily and like i've definitely been in there and seen like shadows walk across doorways and things like that But I also think they put a lot of effort into, like, trying to keep them out of the house, if that makes sense. Like, put the family there to rest because it's it's basically, like, rebuilt like they're there. And that's really, like, contrary to a lot of our traditional beliefs, right? That you don't create these spaces where it's exactly, like, you don't keep memorials or shrines to, like, dead people, essentially. Right. Yeah, well, I know in your tradition you give everything away. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently there was this controversy back way back for Anishinaabek because you are supposed mm-hmm. to bury people with some stuff mm-hmm. but the controversy was like we're starting to bury people with too much stuff mm-hmm. so they're getting heavy in the in the, uh, in the spirit mm-hmm. world so yeah you're supposed to basically redistribute all that stuff Well, and that's the thing with, like, us is that, like, people aren't buried with much. But you're also not buried with any beadwork or any type of metals. Because they say it, like, weighs you down. But I always thought it was because of, like, grave diggers, too. That, like, if our bodies are able to completely decompose, then they won't be disturbed by archaeologists. White people. Yeah, white people won't try to dig our bones up and put us in museums. The real ghosts. Mm-hmm, the real ghouls. <laughs> and that's the only other scary story that I recall, right? Or all the other things that, like, I asked a bunch of people, too. Like, what were they told? Kind of, like, scary stories to behave themselves. And it was always, behave yourself or white people are going to come and take you. <laughs> all right, that's, yeah, that's dark. 
It, but it's true, right? It's and totally that's true. That's the thing. Like, one of my friends said that like her mother told her like, if you see someone and they come to the house and they try to like talk to you or take you away to school, run into the bush and hide, and don't come out until you hear one of us calling for you. Yeah. Like, and if you're hiding, don't. And someone is calling your name or looking for you, and you don't recognize their voice. Like, don't come out and don't go towards them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember very similar stuff from my childhood. <laughs> Sneaking out the back door when the child welfare woman came <laughs> to the front door. Um, but I think you got, I mean, I guess you maybe, we are, we are just storytellers. We just have mm. all of these damn stories. Like, there's so mm. many stories, you can't keep track of them. Everyone mm. tells them different. There's multiple variations mm. of stories. There's like stories, stories, stories. Uh, and we were talking about it. And I was asking you what the Haudenosaunee stories were before we started recording this. And you're like, yeah, I don't have any. Don't really got that many. <laughs> but then I was thinking, you got some pretty scary stuff happening in that that one big story you got. You know, we got that, one, you're talking yeah, about one, our, got the one you're story. You're talking about our creation story? Yeah, yeah. Listen, you get one story, you do it right. You don't need any other ones. <laughs> <laughs> so what's going on in that story? So you have... Two mm-hmm. babies inside of their mother's belly. One of them <laughs> basically rips a hole and this is like crawls out and <laughs> kills his mother. Listen, in the I can tell it's hurting you to be snarky about it. <laughs> I'm not being snarky. You I'm just saying. Love us so much. It's scary. It's. I don't think it's scary. Oh god. Okay. I, I mean, scary. okay. So I mean, who didn't try Sorry. So we know. And I think that's different too, right? With Haudenosaunee, I always conceptual. I was always taught these as like our relations, mm-hmm. right? Or not necessarily our relations, but like the story of this family. And so, if you ta- if you think about like the creator or like the person who made humans, that person, that being, that entity is not human necessarily. They're like a spiritual being, and he has a brother, and they have a mother. And that mother has a mother. So their grandmother is Sky Woman. So I think people don't necessarily understand that connection. And we actually hear in our creation stories, stories of Sky Woman's family. Her husband and her parents. So we know generations before our own creation. Mm-hmm. And so um, when it comes to Sky Woman falling from Skyworld to Earth and when she was here she when she felt she was pregnant she gave birth to a daughter and that daughter became pregnant by the West Wind or whatever West Wind's a very horny wind <laughs> and um, that wind uh, caused her to be pregnant with twins and they say one twin was born the natural way and one twin was born the was born unnaturally, and he came out his mother's side, and so that's the two because they were fighting and they were quarreling over who would be born first, and so when they were quarreling over who would be born first, that's what happened, and they were both born at the same time, and so one of them is sapling, and one of them is flint, sapling being Zwei Diesel, flint being the brother that's born alternate and this is where the entire balance of creation comes from is this dynamic tension between Mm -hmm. sapling and flint Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't want to misrepresent it because, <coughs> excuse me, I don't want to misrepresent it because, uh, yeah, there's a lot going on. And I've heard people like, you know, Rick Montour talk about how this is, you know, how we resolve disputes is built into the, not how we, but how you resolve mm-hmm. disputes is built into the creation story. So, mm-hmm. nonetheless, it's, and it's, you know, still something. Mm-hmm. And and then also mm-hmm. there's the Tadadaho, mm-hmm. which is like one of the scariest figures mm-hmm. in any sort of story I think that I've come across so why don't you tell our listeners what you or your impressions <laughs> of Tadadaho are and then I'll contrast it with how Tadadaho is like a relation of like right a relation of yours yeah. well in line with my understanding of Haudenosaunee as the boogeyman Yes. Uh, I know Tadadaho as someone who... So, of course, there's this ongoing conflict amongst uh, the people who would eventually unite as the Haudenosaunee, but they were separated by families and groups and warring back and forth and constant bloodshed and violence. And um, and the Tadadaho, his wife and children were murdered as part of this violence, and it turned him, like, evil. And so he went around and he recruited people to fight on the side of this uh, dark, uh, basically revenge-seeking um, group. And Tadadaho became more and more evil, and eventually his hair turned into snakes, and he was uh, reclusive and had this great power to, to uh, strike individuals dead. Um, you know, basically by looking at them and feared throughout the land. And then, of course, it was um, the peacemaker who came and, and reached out to Tadadaho, <clears throat> excuse me, um, and brought him back from this state. Uh, and then, mm-hmm. of course, formed the Confederacy mm-hmm. and the Great Law and everything. Yeah. But the stories that you hear about the Tadadaho are pretty frightening before that happens. Yeah, I think, so Tadadaho is, like, definitely one of the most evil figures, right? And you hear a lot of these stories about how he was evil, how he, um, and was grief-stricken, essentially. And when Peacemaker came and, um, was traveling and trying to end these wars and end the bloodshed, he didn't go to, um, the good people, essentially, right? The people that were living in fear. He went first to the most evil people. And with his message of peace and his message of kindness, was able to turn those people into the champions of peace and the people that were become leaders in the peace of our nation, right? The collection of the 50 chiefs that are the Haudenosaunee. Um, and so that, to me, has always been the takeaway, right? Like, not the emphasis on the man that was the witch but the compassion you have for people that are grief stricken the foundations of our culture as being reliant on one another for the maintenance of peace but also the idea of justice and restoration in the sense that even someone who is hurt can forgive and that people that were seen as evil can be leaders and that you treat all these people with kindness and compassion and that you never turn your back on someone that other people might think are discarded because they can become these great leaders and these great champions. 
and that becomes like a big foundation for like my sense of justice and my understanding of justice and healing is the sense that like there is ceremony and there are pieces that come into you know having a good mind creating peace the active and positive how do you create peace how do you then give the people the tools they need so you're not asking harmed people to take on these roles but actually taking them through like a transformative process to create a mindful positive peace mm-hmm. yeah that's all but I could see very how very powerful would... and uh, yeah. <laughs> a foundation for a way of being in the world but yeah. it's not a very good ghost story it's not a very good ghost story. <laughs> this is the problem with like everyone's like, ooh, spooky. Where tell, us about the, tell us about the Indian graveyards. Where are they? And it's like, well, they're there. Like it's, it's funny. It, I I love. I don't know if I mentioned this on an earlier podcast, but I kind of love the Indian graveyard trope. Mm-hmm. Like people get people really hate it. Like whether it's poltergeist, whether it's pet cemetery, even The Shining. Mm-hmm. It's like all of this evil comes because you built your ski resort uh, or your house on top of an Indian burial ground and that's why you're haunted. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, fair enough. It's, you know, you're just staring, this is a huge stereotype and mm-hmm. and uh, deeply problematic. But also, it's kind of like, see? <laughs> you got what you deserve. Don't build your <laughs> shit on top of an Indian burial ground or we'll haunt you. Yeah. <laughs> So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see. I guess they're remaking Pet Cemetery, so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I hope the Indian burial ground is a key plot device. <laughs> um, we were talking about this earlier, right? Because I think this is kind of gets recycled every Halloween too, right? Around like, or someone was questioning on Twitter, like, why are all the ghosts that people see like Victorian or like white people? <laughs> like you never really see really racialized ghosts. You're right. And... Terry and I were talking about at lunch and I said well it's because we have our ceremonies right like we know how to put these spirits to rest right so if there's something that happens we believe in spirit and we believe in these things and so we can like put them through a ceremony or let them relax and then they can be gone right or our <laughs> funeral rites right they kind of like send spirits on their way white people don't really do they really do that do they no, have no. these kinds of things like, no, I guess they, they have like Catholic exorcisms and that kind of thing right? right but it's like and I think this whole um I think we had this conversation via DM when it came to astrology, but, like, the idea that magic and other ways of knowing are often dismissed as, like, a part of settler colonialism. And that this idea that these types of... The... the, I, I guess you could say magic, but I often get so, like... This is where, like, I get existential and, like, way out there and, like, sound like a lunatic, but, like... The idea that, like, we're having this human existence and there's creation and there's existence and there's life and what is the meaning of life and we're all just, like, living in a capitalist society and, like, wasting this lifetime doing this kind of shit when it's, like, literally magic that we're all animated by electricity and, like, we're, like, skeletons walking all over the place. Like, that to me is wild. And this whole, like, idea of, like, settler colonialism and capitalist control over us is just, like, dismissing all of this, like vibrancy that is existence mm-hmm. and creation yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we do have a story about capitalists 
an evil, scary story about capitalism, which we haven't yet talked about. Mm -hmm. But I will read once again from Basil Johnson. Of all the evil beings who dwelt on the periphery of the world of the Anishinaabe people, none was more terrifying than the Wendigo. It was a creature loathsome to behold as it was loathsome in its habits, conduct, and manners. The Wendigo was a giant manitou in the form of a man or a woman who towered five to eight inches times higher than the height of a tall man. But the Wendigo was a giant in height only, in girth and strength it was not. Because it was afflicted with never-ending hunger and could never get enough to eat, it was always on the verge of starvation. The Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation and desiccated skin pulled tautly over its bones, its bones pushing, pushing out against the skin, its complexion, the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into its sockets. The Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody from its constant chewing, jagged teeth. Unclean and suffering, the Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition, of death and corruption. When the Wendigo was set to attack a human, a dark snow would a dark snow cloud would shroud its upper body from the waist up, the air would turn cold and the trees crackled. Then a wind would rise, no more than the breath, no more than a breath at first, but in moments whining and driving, transformed into a blizzard. Behind the odor and chill of death and the killing blizzard came the Wendigo. Even before the Wendigo laid hands on them, many people died in their tracks from fright. Just to see the Wendigo's face was enough to induce a heart failure and death. For others, the monster's shriek was more than they could bear. Those who died of fright were lucky. Their death was merciless, merciful and painful, painless. But for those who had the misfortune to live through their terror, death was slow and agonizing. The Wendigo seized its victims and tore them or her from limb to limb with its hands and teeth, eating the flesh and bones and drinking the blood while its victims screamed and struggled. The pain of others meant nothing to the Wendigo. All that mattered was survival. The Wendigo gorged itself and glutted its belly as if it would never eat again. But a remarkable thing always occurred. As the Wendigo ate, it grew and grew, and so did its hunger, so that no matter how much it ate, its hunger always remained. The Wendigo could never requite either from unnatural lust for, hu from hu for human flesh or unnatural appetite. It could never stop, as animals do when bloated, un unable to ingest some morsel or sense of humans that was enough enough for the present. For the unfortunate Wendigo, the more it ate, the bigger it grew, the bigger it grew, the more it wanted and needed. So there are many, many Wendigo stories, mm -hmm. of course. Uh, that's just the very brief description of the Wendigo. Um, but a lot of people, and Basil Johnson writes about this too, that the modern Wendigo is effectively the capitalist. You know, it's the, it's the settler that fells forests and mines the land and poisons the waters uh, and can never get enough. It's just insatiable greed. Just uh, never being able to fill its stomach. The Which modern is, day Wendigo. Yeah. Which is the true terror of our time. Climate change and capitalism. Yeah, that's kind of scary. <clears throat> I thought you said this was going to be a fun episode. I mean, listen, we could let, I don't know what other stories you got laying it up, but <laughs> I mean... Uh, there's so many stories. Yeah. Uh, I think my favorite Wendigo story is the Wendigo. The, there's this, apparently you can become a Wendigo. So if you're starving, it's like if you're greedy um, and you take more than your share, or if you're starving and then you resort to eating human flesh and become a cannibal, then 
that's how you become a Wendigo. But you can also apparently become a Wendigo if you eat something that you're allergic to. So <laughs> if you eat something, some part of a wild game that you're allergic to, you can become a Wendigo. Yeah. So Ron Gaishik tells the story of a woman that becomes a Wendigo and by eating a piece of an otter that um, she was allergic to. And so she you know, kills her husband. She kills all the families that are with them out on the trap line and she spares her one daughter. And so she goes and she kills all, all the families and she takes her daughter with her from camp to camp throughout the Schnabek territory. Um, and she consumes all of these people throughout the fall and then the winter. And she leaves her daughter alone. She just scratches her from time to time. Um, just to make sure that she's getting fat because apparently one day she's going to eat her daughter and she actually calls her Gotishwash, um, which uh, means something like um, getting tender. <laughs> so she travels and travels and travels. But apparently what happens is the Wendigo, uh, it loses its strength in the winter and in, in the spring. And so the daughter hatches a plan. She tells a bunch of Indians that her mother's coming and they hatch a plan to make her fall on some ice and then chop off her head. So the plan works, she falls on some ice, she falls down, all the hunters take their axes to her and chop her up into little bits. They chop off, a, chop off the head, but the head starts rolling around, chasing after people, and they burn her and kill her, and eventually she, she's done. So then the Wendigo is dead, but as soon as she dies, then the daughter becomes the Wendigo. And then the spirit of her mother comes back to her and said, you know, I'm sorry for all that I've done, but here's how you can heal yourself from being a Wendigo. And it's not so much like anything profound, like mm -hmm. the story of the peacemaker mm -hmm. and the Tadadaho, but it's like, you gotta go and find yourself some otter hind leg, find <laughs> the antidote, travel to the south where you're not gonna kill any Indian, avoid all mm -hmm. the Indians so you don't eat them because mm -hmm. you're a vampire cannibal. Mm -hmm. And then when the summer comes, you'll be too weak anyway, and you'll be able to uh, basically get rid of this Wendigo if you don't eat anybody else and you let the, the seasons weaken you. Mm -hmm. So she does that, but then she turns into something else, which is Sabe. So she turns into Bigfoot, basically. So she's transformed from a Wendigo to Bigfoot, and and um, and she, the only th she can have, live a happy life. She just can't eat meat anymore. So vegetarian Bigfoot. Oh wow, that's a fun fact. <laughs> fun fact. <laughs> that's right. That's where Bigfoot comes from. Yeah. Uh, healed Wendigos. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, Ron Gage tells the story of what much better than I did. It's creepy and scary. Mm -hmm. So, But there's lots of scary Wendigo stories. This is nice. I don't really know anything about Nishnabek culture. So you don't know uh, about the Wendigo? Of course. Everyone no, knows about the Wendigo. I, listen, I've been called a Wendigo. <laughs> <laughs> Crees have some good Wendigo <laughs> stories too. I think you would like the Cree. Yeah. Uh, they call it Wittigo, I think. But they, yeah. their stories are great because they turn them into like healing mm -hmm. um, stories. So people that have sort of the Wendigo psychosis or syndrome mm -hmm. they can you know go through these steps to be healed so people mm -hmm. in our communities that have violent tendencies or have caused really harm a lot of harm mm -hmm. like at least in Greek communities mm -hmm. can sort of be brought back mm -hmm. speaking of other nations with some really good ghost stories uh inuit are goth as fuck <laughs> and they are the true scary story champions of indian country uh they definitely have some creepy scary stories it's true I, I don't think we can tell any of those no. uh, Dene also have some very creepy yes 
scary stories. Yes. But I think you got any more stories to tell? No. We're almost we, at, we're almost at an hour, I think. Yeah, so. we're almost there. We're almost at the end of the road. So I love Halloween. I love ghost stories. I think I'm gonna tell my kids these stories and just terrify them. Yeah. Try to squeeze in some lessons there. Did you tell your kids about the devil yet? No. <laughs> I haven't got mm-hmm. around to that. Well, I think that's it. You got anything else? No? We're all done with scary stories. I think we can keep telling scary stories. Yeah. We'll keep telling some. We'll, we'll shut off the podcast and keep telling scary stories. The real ones. The real creepy ones from the res. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Happy trick-or-treating. Mm-hmm. We'll see you next time. Listening to the Red Road Podcast, created by Courtney Sky and Hayden King. Sounding audio editing by Humble Man Recording. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, Google Play, SoundCloud, and iTunes. I've been driving in my Indian car to the pound of the wheels drumming in my brain. My dash is dusty, my place are. Yeah!